0: Thank you. It's good to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up this morning. We are going to be not looking at one passage, but three. And so the first passage that you can go to is 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, we're going to be uh, talking about leadership in the coming days. One of the things that I love about the EFCA and, and I think a healthy church is that the membership participates in selecting leaders, And that is a really important thing. And um, the the thing that's so significant about it is that um, it's important for us as a congregation to be able to identify who God has called to be a leader. And when we select the wrong people for leadership, it is devastating to the church. Uh, It is devastating to people when they're not ready to be in leadership and they're put in leadership. Over the years, I've seen many people who are doing very well spiritually, and because they're doing well, they're put in a position of leadership, and God uses pride to destroy them and to use them to destroy and harm churches. So putting people in leadership too soon is is not good. And also, the other thing that happens is sometimes we'll put people in leadership who don't meet the qualifications for leadership. Um, God has explained this is what the character of a person is to be like before they're put in leadership. And in many cases, uh, people just kind of ignore all that. And they just go, who do I like? Who's powerful? Who's influential? And they just put people in leadership who never should be in leadership. And the results of that is always devastating and harmful to the church. And uh, so it's it's awesome for us to think through what has God said about who leaders should be? And the, 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 the understanding that God has not called leaders to anything unique. It's not like, okay, if you're a special super Christian, then you should be this way. Or if, um, you know, there's certain people that need to really honor God in their life. Those are the leaders and other people don't. What God has called leaders to is actually what he has called every single Christian to. And leaders are just people that they've been pursuing, faithfully pursuing the Lord and honoring the Lord in their life, and they've demonstrated certain qualities in their life. So we're, next week, we're gonna talk about, we're gonna read through a list of what does God say leaders are supposed to be like, and then we're gonna look at a list of what is a leader's job, what is it that God calls leaders to do, and then we're gonna end by talking about how do we think through gender And leadership. So that's where we're going to end up. Um, But today, we've got to address something that I think is is the most significant thing in leadership, and that is humility, the quality of humility. One of the worst things is is you you'll get churches that they don't disregard what God says. They'll make a list of this is what God says a leader should be like. And they they have high esteem for leaders, and and they know this is a person God has put in this position, and we need to honor the authority of the leaders that God has given us. And so they have a high view of leadership, and they look at the qualities for leadership, and they go, oh, man, that, that is people really need to be spiritually mature to be leaders. And then they're selected as leaders, and they start to feel like, man, people should honor leadership. Where's my honor? Uh, People should follow leaders because leaders, leaders act on God's behalf. So when I speak, that's God speaking. Why do you not listen to me the way you listen to God? And they start to put themselves in the place of God. They start to feel like they're the spiritual special forces. And what's amazing is you can follow the qualifications all you want, and the moment you put somebody in leadership and they become prideful, Actually, that is the most destructive thing because now God is opposed to them. Now they are a pawn in Satan's hand. And so that's this dilemma with selecting leaders. And I think one of the most significant things that we need to see in a person's life is humility. So we're going to talk about three things today. We are going to address the need, the reasons that we need humility Uh, We're going to talk about how God brings humility into a person's life, and then we're going to consider briefly, how do you recognize humility in yourself and in others? So we're going to consider those three things. And uh, I just want to just begin by just saying that, that the position of leadership, spiritual leadership, is significant. This is what it says in Acts 20, 28. Paul calls the elders together and he talks to the elders about ministry, he challenges them and he encourages them. And this is one of the things that he says. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I just want to encourage you that's Paul talking about you. God bought you with his own blood. You are so valuable. God loves you. Uh, you are God's treasure. And when spiritual leaders are abusive to people, which is, happens, when spiritual leaders are abusive to people, when spiritual leaders fail, to care for and go after people who are struggling, they are harming. God gave them an incredible treasure. That's you. And when spiritual leaders fail to do the things that God has called them to do, they bring incredible judgment upon themselves. You can read in Ezekiel in the Old Testament the, the spiritual leaders that God appointed And they were abusive, and they lived off the sheep. And when somebody was struggling in sin and wandered away, they didn't bother going after them. They're like, I'm not going to do that. I'm I'm good. I'm happy. And as they allowed people to wander off, God says, pronounces judgment on them. And he says, I'm going to take care of my sheep, but you never should have abused my children. You never should have failed to go after my children. Um, James 3, 1, right? We've seen that. Let not many of you become teachers, for in doing so you incur a stricter judgment. Hey, we've all heard that phrase, right? Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. The position of leadership is an incredible privilege. It's something that people should aspire to. The first qualification that we'll look at next week is it just says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that is a fine work that he desires. People who are willing to sacrifice and serve as leaders and pick up that mantle and take on that heavy responsibility, that is a valuable thing. And the church needs people like that. And you should have that lofty desire to be a spiritual leader But that should be something that you approach with trembling to understand what God expects of leaders. And as a person in the congregation, you should pray for your leaders. So we're talking about church leadership. I want to just take another step and just say what we're talking about today, this is specifically related to you. And it doesn't matter if you're a leader or not. God wants leaders to be humble people. That is an essential quality. But that is not just an essential quality for leaders. That is an essential quality for every Christian. And if you think through the fact that you are a leader, if you're a dad, you are a leader of your home. If you're a mom, you are, you bear leadership as well in your home. It is your job to care for your kids. If you function in the church the way God tells you to, you are an influence and a leader on the people around you. And it is essential that you be humble. Um, a lot of people struggle. In fact, if you were to go to marriage counseling and just sit down, there's a lot of reasons that people struggle in marriage. There are a lot of reasons that parents and teenagers struggle. But one of the most significant things is in the issue of humility. Like these things... That we're going to talk about today have a a powerful influence in the way husbands and wives relate to each other. And so we're going to jump in here. This is significant. Uh, I want to just throw out there that this job that elders and leaders are supposed to do, it can only be done in humility. And um, when you think about, this is one of the great things about reading the Bible, is as you read the Bible, you see the humility in the people that God used greatly. I think about Abraham. You know, uh, when, when he spoke to God in Genesis 18, he just says, who am I that, that I can speak to God? When, um, when God called Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt, Moses is like, God, who am I? Why would you pick me to do this? I can't do that. Um, when you think about David, when Saul asked David to become his son-in-law, Saul's at, or David's attitude is, who am I? To be the son-in-law of the king. When God tells David, I'm gonna give you an everlasting dynasty. David says, God, who am I that you would give me a dynasty? Solomon, when he becomes king and God says, You can have anything you want, just ask me, I'll give it to you. Solomon says, Man, I am I am just a kid, I don't even know how to go out or come in. And how can I lead your people? Like that attitude of reverence that these are God's people. And he just says, man, I can't do this. And instead of asking for riches, for power, um, for all the things that that a king might ask for, Solomon just says, God, give me a wise and understanding heart so that I can care for your people. And the Bible says that God was pleased with that and said to him, well, because you didn't ask for riches in the life of your enemies and all these things, I'm going to give you all the things you didn't ask for. And he also gave him a wise and understanding heart. When Paul considers his apostleship, Paul says, I am the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church. Um, the men that God has used greatly, and that's just some, but the men that God have used greatly are people of humility. And uh, I was just thinking about, even in my personal life, I remember um some years ago we we did this thing in youth group way back when I was a youth intern. This was probably like thirty years ago and the youth pastor at the time I was the intern, the youth pastor at the time decides he's going to teach the kids in youth group about integrity and so uh, he set this up with one of the youth leaders to teach and this this youth leader's uh kids are in the room and so the, the youth pastor comes out, and he's like, hey, um, anybody know where so-and-so is? He's supposed to teach. Anybody seen him? And then everybody's going, no, no, I ha- haven't seen him. And he, he goes over to the kid, and he's like, hey, where, where's your dad? He's supposed to teach today. And the kid says, Uh, oh, he never came home last night. And by the way, this is all a setup. So the kid knows. None of the youth leaders know. None of the students know. And so, uh, so then all of a sudden the guy who's supposed to teach, incredible actor, he stumbles in like he's drunk. And he didn't shave. He was all, you know, just a mess. And, and he's acting like he's drunk. And so the, the, the pastor's like, you cannot teach. You cannot show up like this. And you can't teach. And he's being belligerent. And there's like this little battle happening in front of the youth group. People are devastated. Kids are crying. Um, that was, like, such this crushing thing. One, one girl just gets up and runs out. She missed the punchline, and so, like, she's going around for the rest of the day just devastated. Parents were so furious for what their kids were put through. But here's the amazing thing. Um, on the youth leadership staff were people who were uh, leaders in their college. They'd been exalted to, like, being RAs and where they were overseeing dorms and they were spiritual leaders and there was this one, this one guy in the room who was kind of a probationary youth leader because he had these personal struggles in his life. And when that guy comes up to the front of the room and he's being obnoxious and belligerent, all the leadership people sat there quiet doing nothing. And this guy who had been through these personal struggles in his life, it, it was just amazing to see him spring into action because he stood up he was really gracious. He took charge. He put his arm around that guy, and he's like, hey, we got to get out of here. Don't, don't do this. And he starts trying to protect all the kids in youth group, but he's very gracious and considerate and thoughtful toward this person standing in the front of the room. And it was just this humble, compassionate, gentle, just springing into action and taking in, in charge. If you would have asked me um, how that was going to go, I, that is not how I would have described it going, and, and that, that humble, gracious person, a person who became that way because of personal struggles, and that was real leadership. and so humility is essential for church leaders, but it's actually essential for every one of us. Uh, I want to talk about um, some reasons for humility there's three of them, and uh, let's let's jump into this and let's look at first Peter chapter. Um, 5. And this is the Apostle Peter writing, and and Peter is a gracious, humble man. It'll be interesting to think through how the Lord brought humility into his life. But Let's just start reading in verse 1, and it says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's just pause there for a second. This is the man who, when Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross, rebuked him. Like Peter rebuked Jesus. And this is what he writes as the apostle who was there with Jesus, speaking humbly to to other elders, as your fellow elder. But then this is what he says, and this is the first thing that is so significant. This is the reason that people in leadership need to be humble You need to, we need to, as a church congregation, we need to select people that are humble. But if you're in a position of leadership, you need to understand this, and you need to be humble. And if you're a Christian, you need to understand this. You need to be humble. Look what it says here. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. you thought about that, that God is opposed to the proud? When you are a prideful, arrogant person, when you allow pride to creep into your life, God actually opposes you. Can you imagine selecting a group of leaders that God opposes? Or to have a person in leadership that God is opposing? Like, think about that in your own life. Do you want to be a person that God is opposing? Think about what brings pride. A lot of times it is success. Like, let's just think about Peter, the one who wrote this. He, Jesus is asking all the disciples, uh, who do people say I am? And Peter gets the right answer. And God says, you know, flesh and blood has not revealed this, but God himself In many cases, it is our success, it is our talent, it is those moments when we do something well that Satan steps in and brings destruction. In the qualifications of an elder, no new comfort, no immature person is to be put in leadership. Why? Because they may be doing well, but without the experience of life, they become prideful and then God's against leaders. So we don't want people to be in leadership if God is opposed to them, consider Mark. Jesus was just saying this in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 35. And he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. In Matthew 20, 25, Jesus is saying, The rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over people. But whoever wants to be first, whoever wants to be great, needs to be the servant of all. People who understand my position of leadership is not about me. It's about caring for other people and honoring the Lord and, and being gentle and caring to God's flock. We need to be servant-hearted, all of us, um, because otherwise God's opposed to us. Here's another just practical reason. It's because humility is healing toward other people. Humility is healing toward other people. Pride is destructive. Pride's harmful. And humility is healing. Galatians chapter 6, 1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You know, that's one of the things that God calls elders and leaders to do is to get involved in sin. When people are struggling, when people are having a difficult time, God calls them to get involved. Now, can you imagine in that room if somebody would have stood up in that room and just said to that youth leader, who do you think you are? You're going to show up here drinking. You're supposed to be a leader. You're supposed to be teaching other people and look at you. Look what you're doing. Get out of here. Don't ever do something like this again. I don't even know why you're here. Could you imagine somebody Addressing that situation. Can you think of all the ways that handling that situation could have gone wrong? But spiritual leaders are to be gentle, looking to yourself lest you be tempted. If you don't have a spirit of humility, you are unable to help other people. You won't do it in a gentle way. Sometimes you'll lack the urgency of stepping in and helping. You know, all those other leaders... They were more worried about, man, what am I going to do? I, I don't want the situation to blow up on me. Like, they were deer in the headlights. But, but this other man who had struggled with some things was like, no, this situation needs to be taken care of. There are kids here watching this. This man that we all love, look what is happening. Look what he's doing. This is like, this is terrible. I got, I got to get him out of here before more harm is done to him. And he's thinking to himself, when he sobers up, He's going to be devastated about what just happened. It's a compassion for the person who's in the bad situation and compassion for other people. And it's just this this moving into action in a gracious, gentle way. Um, Another reason is because it is indispensable to God's kind of leaders. Humility. You know, humility is something that leads to caring for other people. Um, Philippians 2, 3, this is actually a good definition of humility. Uh, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Some people say that Humility is thinking lowly of yourself. A better definition is humility is not thinking of yourself. Now, humble people are um, self-conscious. They walk into a room and they think, oh, man, my my shoes are ugly. I don't have the nice pants that everybody else has. Oh, I better be quiet over here and not say anything. I might sound stupid. Um, Those are actually prideful, self-centered people that are insecure. A humble person walks into a room, and he's not thinking about if his shoes look dumb. He's not thinking about if he'll say something stupid. He walks into a room, and he's very confident. Why? He's confident because he walks in, and he's looking around and going, who can I encourage? Is there anybody I see that's feeling insecure that I can go talk to? How can I go build somebody else up and encourage them? That's a humble person, not thinking lowly of himself, which is self-centered, but thinking not of himself, Thinking of others. Now, that's one of those parenting things. A lot of times our kids are insecure and we think we need to tell them how great they are, that that's the solution. No. If your kids are insecure, they need to stop thinking about themselves. And they need to start thinking about other people and caring for other people and loving other people instead of themselves. Um, it's selfless. Um, here's, here's another one. Luke 6.35 it's indispensable to God's kind of leadership. Look at Luke 6:35. It says, "Love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil." You know, returning good for evil is one of those leadership qualities. Sometimes we feel like people don't appreciate us or they've attacked us or, or there, there can be difficulty. Sometimes you'll go address a sin issue in somebody's life because you love them and they'll attack you. I remember one year we had, uh, took away a bunch of kids to camp. This is terrible. It's a, it's a horrible confession. Um, so I take these kids away to camp. We went to Hume Lake and, and all these kids are out. And, and we had youth leaders who were supposed to be supervising them. And we, we had these high school kids, and there was, like, boats of kids, and we had a few kids, and, and one of them, like, two, two, three of the guys, they climb up the tree, this huge tree, and they throw their bathing suit shorts in, and then they jump into the lake naked. <laughs> and, and I find out about this, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I just took all these kids, you know, I took, like, 150 of them up to camp. I'm like, man, I take all these kids. Their parents have entrusted them to me. And I got a boat full of girls and guys climbing up the tree and jumping into the lake. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. How did this happen? How did it go wrong? How was I not organizing supervision to be with these people and to avoid this? And so I talked to the kids about it. And then I called the parents. And I just, you know, I I was loving to the kids. And I was just talking through with them why that was wrong. And I called the parents to apologize to them all the girls who were sitting there and saw that happen, the, the boys that jumped out of the tree, I called their parents to just say, I'm sorry, you entrusted your kid to me, and I didn't manage this well. And it was funny. It was, was kind of hard, and I, I was loving these kids, and I call, and some mom just like lays into me. What are you calling me for? Don't tell me this kind of stuff, and she just like rips into me, and there's there can be a temptation to sometimes not return good for evil. I'm just like, you think I wanted to make this call? I got a time to call all these people and confess? I mean, I felt like hiding this. I didn't want the parents to know this happened. And you're ripping into me? How about marriage? You know, one of the greatest humble things in marriage is when you return good for evil. It's when you say, my spouse has treated me poorly, but I'm going to return good to them for the evil. It's like, If you can do that with your enemies, shouldn't you be able to do that with the person that you love? But almost all marriage problems, I sit you sit down with people and and they can each give you a really long list of how the other person has wronged them. And then say, okay, great, all those terrible things your spouse has done to me, give me the list of things you did to your spouse. That's a short list. Uh, I guess that fits into one of our other points. But returning good for evil, um, that is what God wants from leaders, because it's not about us. We love people. It's unrelated to how we're treated. We are serving God and caring for people. Here's the second thing that we need to see is that the road to humility is through trials. You know, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys to pray for your leaders, including me. Um, you know, you've heard people say never pray for patience because everything goes wrong in your life. Well, I, I am going to ask you, pray for me and pray for our leaders that they'll be humble. That is an even worse prayer than the prayer for patience because um, do you know what brings humility? Pain. Pain brings humility. And I, all growing up, I used to always pray, Lord, as, as a believer, Lord, help me to be a fast learner because I don't want to feel pain. <laughs> I just want to learn whatever you're trying to teach me. Um, I, I want to be spiritually mature. I want to be sensitive. I want to care for people. But I don't want to have to go through pain to get there. And so, yes, pray that your leaders will be um, fast learners because we don't want pain. We don't like it. Let, let me read James chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. It says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, Greetings count it all joy my brothers when you encounter when you meet various trials for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness now this is all kinds of trials and it produces steadfastness this is talking about all kinds of things in life but one of the things that god does one of the ways that god blesses people is he takes them through trials and trials produce humility That's one of the the things, one of the blessings that God gives us in life is as we suffer, if we respond to it correctly, it produces humility. It goes on in verse 4, it says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete. That's spiritually mature, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Have you ever thought about what kinds of experiences in life produce humility? Well, I'll tell you one thing, divine discipline. Have you ever seen people that are kind of prideful and things just go wrong in their life? God disciplines them. Uh, We used to love watching Survivor with our kids uh, because we'd watch that Survivor movie. And I just, I loved all the lessons you can learn about relationships and people. But one of the things, like the makers of that show were awesome because they would always pick out pride. Like they would find pride. They would put it on display. Right before they would go to vote somebody off the island, um, they would say, um, Um, they would interview somebody. Oh, I got this in the bag. I'm I'm in control of everything. This person's going down. I've got all this other stuff lined up. They'd go away and they'd vote. And who got voted out? Every single time, the one who says, I I am in control, they were the ones who went home. And and it was kind of fun. And not just in that, but in life, pride leads to destruction because God's against the proud. Um, He disciplines people who are prideful. Daniel chapter 4, great example of this. You guys remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Um, God raises him up, makes him a great king, and he's prideful and God gives him a dream to show him his pride. He goes to Daniel and Daniel explains, Nebuchadnezzar, you are a prideful man and God is telling you that he's going to bring destruction into your life. Please repent and maybe there will be a prolonging of your prosperity. And he fails to repent. One of the things I love about Daniel chapter 4 is this whole thing is written by Nebuchadnezzar. Like, it's, it's him talking about how I had this dream, and Daniel told me this, and then I was prideful, and this is what God did in my life. God divinely disciplined him because he stands up on his, on his uh, you know, he's looking over his kingdom a year later, and he says, look what I have built. And then all of a sudden, God makes him insane, and he He crawls around like a cow out in a field for seven years. And then God restores his sanity, and he says, From now on, I worship God, and I realize he can humble people who are prideful. You know, there's divine discipline. I know people who walk into sin, and they get fired. And just things in their life start to collapse, unrelated to their sinful choices. It's God's discipline. And so Nebuchadnezzar was humbled through discipline. It's not just discipline. Sometimes it's personal failure. Think about um, Peter, right? Um, he says, I love you more than everybody else. Even if everybody else denies you, I won't deny you. And then what does he do? He denies Jesus, and Jesus looks at him, and he goes away sad, just overwhelmed with his personal failure from I'm the, if there's only one who's faithful, I'll be it, to he's the one who denied. And then Jesus comes to him, and he, he just, he loves him, and he says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. And, and think about Peter in life when, when, he, when the realization of the fact that he corrected Jesus, as that sets in, have you ever done something in your life that years later, every time you remember it, you shudder? Like, this is a regular occurrence in my family. It's actually kind of a, a joke. My kids and, and my Michelle, they tease me about this. But a lot of times I'll be driving down the road, and we're just talking about stuff, and I'll just go, ah. And they're like, what was that about? And I'm like, I, I don't even want to say anything. Val, did you hear that the other day? Yeah. Val, we were, we were driving around Val the other day, and I did that. Something happened. I'm like, ah. So that's also a personal weakness. But out of nowhere, these thoughts fly into my head of stupid things I've done, inconsiderate things I've said, prideful ways that I've been prideful. And at the time, you don't realize it, but then right afterwards, you realize it. And the Lord just, man, sometimes these things just flood my mind. And I just go, ah. You ever have those moments? You know, those are a blessing. And actually, there's something wrong with that, too. Like, that's, that's not a strength in my life. That's actually one of my weaknesses. We shouldn't dwell on our faults and our failures, and those things should not be overwhelming to us. One of the huge problems for Moses, by the way, when God says, go do this, and Moses says, um, you know, Moses says, oh, I can't do that. Th- that is good in the sense that it's a recognition of inadequacy, but it's bad because it's not a recognition of God's adequacy. And when God tells you to go do something, you can do it because it's God who does it through you. It's not your worthiness. It's not your amazing ability is the reason that you can do things. It's God working through you. And so to beat us ourselves up over the past is bad, but to remember our failures is very helpful. And so um, sometimes it's personal failures, and we all have those, don't we? You ever felt overwhelmed, discouraged, thinking about how I blew it in this and I blew it in that and I got this problem, I should have done that better? And sometimes people are discouraged from from pursuing things, things of leadership because they have so many personal failures. The reality is that your personal failures and your struggles, when responded to correctly, are the things that God will use to make you a good leader. It's the things wrong in your life that are as helpful as the things that are right. And the problem is when people in leadership see themselves as fundamentally different, when they're irritated by the failures that they see in everybody else's life, they're like the Pharisees who strain out gnats and swallow camels because everything in everybody else's life is a gnat. The things in your life is a camel. But one of the things that's natural for us is that is not how we see it. We see all the sin issues in our own life as gnats, and we see all the sin issues in other people's lives as camels. And that is not what God intends for leaders. Another one's physical illness. I'm thinking about the Apostle Paul. He had a physical ailment that specifically in 2 Corinthians, it says he had that, to keep him from exalting himself. You ever think about maybe your physical trials, the difficulties, the sicknesses, the injuries, just various things in your life, that God can use those things to bring humility in your life if you respond to them correctly? Now, I just want to just say this. Not all suffering leads to humility. It doesn't. Um, The Bible tells us that... uh, the road to humility is through trials, but it says this He who is often reproved and yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. You ever see that in someone's life? Doesn't matter how many times they're corrected, doesn't matter how often they're punished. They're just bitter and angry toward the people who are reaching into their life. They don't respond with humility, they don't learn, they're just angry. There are people who never see their own personal failures. And make the right adjustments. They just keep walking down the same destructive path. They don't learn from those. Those don't bring a sense of humility. Or have you ever seen people who are sick and they're ill and they're struggling in life. And instead of those producing godliness and maturity. They make them bitter instead of better. It's Kind of like Job's wife right. So Job loses his kids and faces this devastation. But we forget that that happened to his wife too. And for Job, he falls on his face and just says, naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked, I will return. And his wife just looks at him and says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? See, she was made bitter. And, and we trust that through her relationship with Job and God working in her life that eventually she was made better. There's a lot of people who are bitter instead of better. They don't look, take the difficulties and trials in life, and they don't become more humble, faithful servants of God. So let's talk about some marks of maturity. Marks of maturity. This is Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Marks of maturity. The three things are this. You're more aware of personal failings than the failings of others. You have a compelling desire to help people who are wandering, and you live a personal, faithful life. That's how you know that a person is growing in humility in their life. Matthew 7, 1 says this, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Um, This is another one of those marriage things. You know, what the Bible says about how to manage marriage difficulty and conflict is so helpful, and it will bring humility. Um, Just what, what does God say to husbands? You're to love your wives the way Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. It's your job to be a spiritual leader and to take God's word and present your wife to Christ as a spotless individual who's holy and who's righteous. It's your job to be a godly influence in your home and in your spouse's life. So think about this. If your wife is terrible, that's your fault. And um, if, and you're supposed to love your wife. I just say if you live with a terrible wife, I mean, Proverbs says it's better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house with a contentious woman. There, we could find all these verses that say that. And, and if you're in that situation where your marriage is challenging, are you loving your wife the way Christ loves the church? Because before you make a list of things that she needs to work on, you need to start working on you. And guess what? It's just as challenging for wives, right? Because what does 1 Peter 3 say? It says, even if your husbands are disobedient to the word, you are to win them over without a word. By your chaste and respectful behavior. So think about that. Go to marriage counseling, and it's like, okay, do you win your husband over without a word by your chaste and respectful behavior? Because until you do that, you should stop making a list of things that he's doing wrong because God tells you what you're supposed to do. That's the problem with people who, they don't look at the log in their own eye. They're worried about the speck in someone else's. And I would just say that in your life, If other people's problems are huge and your problems are small, you're not humble and you are not fit to be in leadership. It's not until you can look at someone else and say you got serious problems and you need help with your problems. But I have the same kind of problems and I need the same kind of help and I'm thankful for the people who have helped me and I want to be gracious and merciful and encouraging and helpful to you. You know, God says that judgment will be merciless to the one who's shown no mercy. And, man, I need God's mercy. I see so many things in my life that I need help with. I'm going to be merciful to you because I need it instead of being hard. Like, let's just talk about the Pharisees. They had a very high view of their own righteousness, and they were very hard on everybody else. And so we need we need to be more aware of our personal failings than the failings of others. We need to have this compelling desire To help people who are wandering, part of humility is to say, God, your wisdom is always right. Uh, Let's just talk about divorce. I remember one time I was talking to some people who are really struggling in their marriage, and I'm just thinking to myself, in this case, I I was thinking, this man is a knucklehead. This is a terrible person. I cannot believe that this lady is married to this man. This lady is amazing. Uh, She has such a great personality. She loves the Lord, and she's trying to grow. She's trying to be faithful. But this guy, oh, man, he is so terrible. And I just remember thinking to myself, he has not been unfaithful. Uh, He is not an unbeliever who's abandoned her. And um, there's no biblical grounds for divorce. God doesn't say if life's miserable, bail. Marriage is for life. And I, I'm getting ready to counsel this person. And I just remember everything in me wanted to say, get a new husband. Your life's going to be so much better. And then I just took a step back, and I'm like, what is the matter with me that I would question what God says is the right thing to do? And I, why would I think that my personal evaluation of this situation is more wise than what God would say? And then I sat there, and I just said, Okay. I'm going to tell them what God says. And I just encourage them. You know what's amazing is years later, their marriage is not perfect, but it is so much better than it was. It's something I'm thankful for and I'm encouraged by and seeing the way that God has worked in that. And the thing is, is that when we've struggled and we've come to the place that we've learned to obey God and do, I'm going to do what God tells me whether or not it seems like the right thing. I know God tells me the right thing, and that's what I'm going to do. And when you've lived that out and you trust God and you obey God, then you will be able to help other people. But when you're a person who goes, hey, this is hard. I know God says this, but never mind. I think this is better. That is not humility to think you know better than God. I will decide what is best for me, and I will disregard what God says. By the way, you can go to counselors everywhere who say they're Christian counselors. You can find pastors everywhere who are Christian pastors who will disregard what God says and tell you to do something that will ultimately destroy your life. And that is why that we as Christians, we read the Bible, we find faithful, humble people who love the Lord. And when we're thinking about who are we going to select as leaders, we need to be praying and selecting people who demonstrate humility in their own life. And um, is anybody perfectly humble? Is there anybody? Anybody? who does not regularly struggle with humility in their life. Yes, every time anybody does anything that's of any value, then they'll struggle with humility. And so we're not putting our leaders under some kind of a microscope and expecting perfection out of them. If we look around and see failures in our leaders' lives, well, hey, join the club, they're just like us. They're pro- they have problems and we have problems. And if we're working on humility, we'll realize how challenging that is, and we'll recognize it in another person's life. Um, There are so many times this is ignored in selecting church leaders. And I just want to close by reading Third John, chapter one, verse nine through eleven, and talk about a person who looked on the outside but didn't have a humble heart. They look good on the outside with no humble heart. This is it. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes. Who likes to put himself first? Does not acknowledge our authority. Plenty of leaders are full of their own authority, but they ignore God's authority and they ignore other leaders' authority. But he doesn't acknowledge our authority. This is the Apostle John writing, and Diotrephes, a nobody, decides to disregard John. So if I will, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wig, wicked nonsense against us, not content with that he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to put them out of and who and also stops those who want to and he puts them out of the church so here's a leader who doesn't help other godly people and anybody who tries he wants to put them out of the church he is abusive and he is controlling wants to tell everybody else what to do and build his own kingdom and make everybody else build his kingdom Verse 11, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Plenty of churches have significant problems because instead of being able to identify humility, they put diatrophies in places of leadership. Um, Humility is... Should be accompanied by a healthy sense of inadequacy. Humble people don't say, Why didn't I get picked as an elder? How come I haven't been put in a position of leadership? Anybody who's mad about that should never be put in a position of leadership. A person who says, Man, I'm not sure if I should do this. I, I feel insecure about doing this. Are you sure that this is what God wants? And a person who's willing to step out and say, Man, I got lots of problems. I, I'm not sure if I should be here. I better be very gracious and encouraging to other people. Please pray for me that I'll do a good job. Um, Those are the people that you want in leadership, people who say, I could never do this on my own, but if I can be faithful, I hope, I'm praying that the Lord through his strength will use me. Like Moses, I can't talk, but if God tells me to talk, he'll help me talk. Man, I can't do this, I'm not fit for this, but if God allows me to do this, then God can help me do it. Let's pray for our leaders. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness and your love for us. Lord, humility is so challenging. None of us have it. Uh, We're all struggling to have it. And yet this is such an important quality in your church and in a believer's life. This is what makes us loving and gracious and encouraging. It's what makes us rely on you. It's what brings spiritual strength and blessing to our ministry and the things that we do. Lord, it's never our talent, never our ability, never how smart we are. Lord, humility is what helps us to love people that we disagree with. It's what helps us to encourage and be thankful for everybody that you've put in the body of Christ. It's what allows us to relentlessly go after people who are struggling in a gracious way. God, help us to be a humble church and that we would reflect you and your character and that we would have everybody beating down the doors to get here because they learn your truth and they're loved and they're cared for and they're encouraged when they're here in your name. Amen.